0: The scripture today will be from Psalm 23 and Ephesians 5, 8-14. We'll be reading Psalm 23 first. Psalm 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. 5, 8 to 14. For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what such people do secretly. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, sleeper awake, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Thank you, Corey. How many of you
1: have played, and for some of you this may be a while back, how many of you have played hide and seek sometime in your life? Okay, way back in memories for some of you. How about sardines? Yeah, sardines is a little bit different. How about wolf wolf? Yeah, that, that that was a term that we had for this for a game that maybe not everybody used, but but the idea of these three games is there's some similarities but there are some differences as well. So, for hide and seek, one person is the seeker and closes their eyes, counts out loud to some predetermined number. Everybody else goes out and hides. And so the seeker's job is to find those that are hiding. And the first person found is generally the person who's going to be it, the seeker for the next round. Whoever is found last is kind of the, the winner of that round. And, and then you, you go on. And usually the game is played during the daytime. You hide behind trees and you know, objects wherever you can. Okay, well, sardines, sardines is a game that our youth groups, both Click Club and uh, MYF, have been playing for many, many years during overnighters and lock-in weeks in the building. And it's in the dark. So the idea of sardines is that you have one person going out to hide. Not not multiple people. One person goes out to hide, and you're looking to find a spot That may not be real easily found, but everybody else then, after a certain number of, or a certain amount of time, goes to find this one person. Thing that's a little bit different, though, is if you would happen to stumble across the person hiding, you don't say anything, you join them. And then you stay quiet, and somebody else happens upon you, and they join you. And so the hiding group gets bigger and bigger and bigger in what will probably be a confined area, thus the name sardines. Um, so that's, that's the game sardines. Well, and it's preferred to be in the dark, so it's not necessarily easily finding you know, those persons hiding. Okay, well, wolf-wolf is what we call the game that we grew up playing back home and it was always at night and it was always outside. One person, the wolf, would go out to hide as everybody else, the sheep, would count and then go out and leave the safe base to try and find the wolf. And so when the sheep would happen upon the wolf... Or the sheep would wander far enough away from the base that the wolf decided to sneak back in and get ready to capture the sheep. Because the whole idea was then the sheep were trying to get back to the safe base. But when the wolf was found, everybody yelled, wolf, wolf. And the sheep were trying to scramble back. Okay, so this was a game that was played in the dark. And if we decided that we were going to play and somebody happened to be in a white shirt or a light shirt, you changed shirts. You did not want white, light clothing. You intentionally changed into something darker. And you hid well and you were quiet. And if you needed to get out and around and sneak around, you did it quietly, cautiously. You did it secretively. And the key component to playing wolf-wolf was it needed to be dark. No chance of easily being seen. Our actions, our activities, hidden and hidden well. Well, isn't that what we like to do with our own sins and our own shortcomings? We don't like to have those exposed. We don't want them to be seen. It's easier to hide that in the darkness. Keep, keep that hidden so nobody knows. But that's not where Jesus calls us to be. That's not how God is calling us to live our lives. We are called to live in the light. And we sang that with many of the songs right here. We want to be affected by the light, in the light. We're called to seek out the light. And so three parts of my sermon today look at this. First of all, what is spiritual darkness? Second of all, what is spiritual light and life? And the third part, how are we called to be transitioning or transition from dark to light? What are we called to do for that change? So so first of all, for spiritual darkness, um, gotquestions.com defines spiritual darkness as the state of a person who is living apart from God. It's an alienation from God, whether it's from an ignorance where we just aren't aware or individuals don't know the truth, or from an intentional hardening of a heart. Either way, it's a separation from God. And when we're following our own desires, our agenda, our own will, we may feel that we are winning in getting our way and reaching an earthly goal, but in the long run, or in the long view, my way is going to be unsatisfied. It's not going to satisfy us. So when it comes to the consideration of true joy and peace, in seeking my own way, we're going to stumble and fall. We're going to fail. Proverbs 4:19 says. By the way of the wicked, or excuse me, but the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Deuteronomy twenty-eight, twenty-nine. Moses refers to sin and obedience and the separation from God as being similar to a blind person groping around in the dark. And so ignorance is what those two verses are kind of referring to. That is a matter of not being aware of why things are happening in a certain way. I believe there are some people in this world who just don't know why they're unhappy. And they don't know what to do about it. In Ephesians uh, 5.11, what Corey read, Paul refers to fruitless deeds of darkness as things for us to avoid. Have, avoid, have nothing to do with those fruitless deeds of darkness. And, and it's the darkness of our hearts natural sin, darkness within our souls, something not to be seeking. And there may, there may seem to be some momentary gains from evil things that are done. I mean, we, we see in this world some individuals who we would identify as being greedy, selfish, and vain. And they are growing in fame. They are growing in money. Wonderful earthly treasures, glory from the media, our culture... Yeah, they're winning right here. But but those are not long lasting. Those are short. Those are momentary. Those are here for the moment and then gone quickly. They are fruitless. They are empty and shallow. And those are things that need to be replenished over and over and over again. If you have some money, well I need more. If you have some fame, well I need more. And they're not eternal. In nature, plants need light to complete the process of photosynthesis for energy to grow and flourish. And without light, plants will wither, plants are going to die. And even for humans, a lack of light reduces serotonin and vitamin D. And that lack leads to increased fatigue, a tendency to be lethargic, less able to uh, to maintain focus. We like to have light. You know, that gloomy cloud cover that is there all winter long. We groan about that. Well, there's a reason for that. It's not beneficial for us. And I had to think about the stereotypical mother who was telling her kids, go outside and play. That's actually a health requested or a health related request, isn't it go out in the sun and play That is more healthy than being inside in the dark. Darkness is generally understood as being unhealthy, depressing, selfish, egotistical, evil and in looking for scripture for today's topic, I, I found it interesting that in the Bible there are very few verses describing darkness completely by itself Uh, 162 times in 142 different verses darkness is referred to but in almost every one of those the opposite is also referred to light you don't see darkness without having an option of moving to something different in most biblical statements so, so here's what spiritual light would be then. The Old and the New Testament hold over 200 references to light. Being filled with light, being the light, shining our light, reflecting God's light. Um, in a Wednesday evening class this past fall, we went through the different I am statements of Jesus. And the statement from John 8:12 was, I am the light of the world. And we shared different ways of how we actually use light within our world. Uh, We use overhead lighting. I mean, we see that in the sanctuary. We have that in our house. We want light so we can see things. We use headlights on our cars, our vehicles, so we can drive safely. We use desk lamps to be able to read and write more clearly. There's under-cabinet lighting in our kitchens, and uh, dens. We use candles to give us some ambiance. I mean, our our phones now even have flashlights on them. Light is available. Light is desired. And those things are better lit so that we don't stumble into something, so we don't run our vehicle into someone, so we can read and write and sew and play games Seeing more clearly is good. It's beneficial, it's healthy. After Jesus said, I am the light of the world, he added, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. And again, light and darkness are compared, but light is the direction that God is asking for us to go. The light of life. We we don't, see the light of death referred to. It's the light of life. And Jesus empowers us to shine for him, for his glory and his kingdom. In Matthew 5, 14 through 16, we're encouraged and commanded by Jesus in this way. It says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. And we just sang about that. Hide it under a bushel, no. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Not seeing your deeds to praise you. Glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus is the light shining in and through us to this world. And that's what the spiritual light is. It's him. So so the bigger part of what I want to talk about, though, is what is this transition? How does that transition happen? What are we called to do? Corey read in in verse 8, Paul identifies that you, I, we, we are all once in darkness, but now are the light in the Lord. So, So we were all there. It's a sinful nature. Romans 13, 12, Paul tells them more. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. That's a change. That's a transition. Remove yourself from darkness. Put on that armor of light. And even earlier in Ephesians 2, 1 through 12, or 1 through 2, Paul reminds the church, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world obeying the devil. So all of these refer to that change, the transition. Because of our sinful nature, we each need to make that transition from darkness to light. And to make that transi- uh, transition, there's two things that are required. First would be an awareness, and the second is a willingness. So with the awareness, um, it's a bit of what I referred to, You know, the, those in darkness stumble around. They don't know where they're going, what they're doing. Well, I, I have a, a small poster in my office with a little boy, and I, I think I may have referred to this before, about four or five years of age. He has torn jeans. He's got a baseball cap, just a little bit of skew. He's holding the end of a bat. There's a ball in a glove, on the ground, and the poster says, I play to win. For me, that's why they keep score. I play to win. There's a goal. And in the game, Wolf-Wolf, there was a way of winning. My aim whenever I played, that was to win. Do the best I could and to win. And as the wolf in Wolf-Wolf, it was advantageous to stay in the dark. Intentionally, I stayed in the dark. I wore dark clothing. I did not want light anywhere in the game, especially anywhere around me while I was hiding. And I did not want a car to travel down the road behind me with their lights bright. It happened a few times and it was angering because all of a sudden you were exposed. People saw you. I wanted it to stay as dark as possible. That gave me a better chance to win. Well, for those in this world who don't know the light, what do they consider winning? They win by the world's standards. Whatever the world decides is successful, that's the game that they're playing. And so I believe we, play in a, or we live in a world where winning is not understood in the same way that God views winning. There's a lack of awareness or maybe even of caring of the true game that we are playing, a spiritual battle, and what the goal of that game is. In Acts 26, 17 through 18, Paul is talking to King Agrippa of his interaction with God on the uh, road to Damascus. And so God, God said this to Paul. said, I am sending you to them, the Gentiles, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Paul writes along these same lines even more. said, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Now, if I play any game, And Don will attest to this. I want to know the rules so I can use those rules to the best of my ability to win. But if I don't know what the goal and what winning is defined as, I'm frustrated. I want to know what those rules are and what that goal is going to be. Satan is tricky. Satan doesn't like to lose either. He has blinded us. And he lies to us. He tempts this world, he tempts us with false ways to feel like we are winning. And we need to have our eyes opened up. Having God's truth and love revealed, reminding us of his light, of his love, of his vision for victory. Just like anybody else in this world, our goal is to live for Christ. Live in the light. But even if our world is made aware, or even for ourselves, if we're fully made aware, we still need to be willing. Ephesians 4, 17 through 18 says, Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives, because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. I mean, that's, that's talking about an intentional disregard for truth, for light. John 3, 20 and 21 says, All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. Kind of like the way that I would play the wolf and Wolf Wolf. I didn't want to get near the light. But those who do what is right come to the light So others can see that they are doing what God wants. There's a difference in coming to the light. Things are shown. Things are exposed. But we need to be willing to do that. So are we willing? Not just are those that are outside and the sinners that we see. But are we as well willing to be exposed by light? To be challenged and convicted by the. Word of God, by the truth of God. Whether it's from a sermon, from a Sunday school lesson, from a small group discussion, from just simply a conversation with a fellow believer within the body of Christ. Because sometimes we can be just like those sinners, you know, somewhere out in those walls, those sinners out there who need the message of the gospel and they need to know the light We need to be reminded of that light as well. I don't like to be shown where I fall short. I already know it. I don't like to be reminded of it. And Dawn's over here smiling because we just had a conversation the last couple days where I need to be reminded of some things. It's not fun. But am I willing to have God's light shown around me removing me from darkness. Whether it's a big darkness that we envision or a small momentary darkness, the light needs to shine around us and we need to be willing for that. Ephesians 5, verse 11 says, take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. Expose them. Now, here's a bit of a warning with that though. I would say don't expose them like the world exposes things. If the world exposes things, many times that is to make a name for me as I expose this. I might do it with vindictiveness. I'm looking to put that individual who I'm exposing to shame and that's That's not the way that we're exposing things with light from God. Exposing them and their need for the light of God. Exposing ourselves and our need for the light of God is done with the light and the love of God. Um, I found this quote in uh, theologyofwork.org website which commented on this process and goal of exposing darkness. And it said, the goal of exposing is redemptive and inclusive. It seeks not to alienate those who walk in darkness, but rather to draw them into the light of Christ. As New Testament scholar Thomas Yoder Neufeld observes in his commentary on Ephesians, what we see in this passage could be called evangelical. Evangelistic exposing. We expose the deeds of darkness not as instruments of judgment, but as channels of God's love. We want those who live in darkness to leave behind their fruitless work and turn to the Lord so they might become children of light and reflections of God's own light in the world. Again, I'm going to read that last part. We want those who live in darkness to leave behind their fruitless work and turn to the Lord so they might become children of light and reflections of God's own light in the world. We're inviting people in, even as we expose things and are exposed. Psalm 23, 4, David wrote, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And we will walk through darkness. But we're not called to be part of that darkness. The rod of the good shepherd was not used for punishing the sheep. It was used for defense of the sheep. For protection. And the long length of the staff was used to gently guide the sheep along the proper pathway. And and in that way, I mean, the sheep may not be able to see exactly where they're supposed to be walking. So in some effects, that staff is a light that God is giving us to know what that proper path is going to be. And the curved crook of the staff was used for rescue. I mean, that whole Psalm 23 is just a reassuring, calming statement of the light of Christ being available and the comfort being available as we are guided by him. And all of those are comforts as God walks with us. They're they're comfort that this world doesn't understand unless we teach them and show them by our words and our deeds with the same love and care That Christ is giving us, that's expressed in Psalm 23. And referring to John 8, 12 again, with Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me will have the light of life. John Piper had this to say about that verse He said, This is a life changing verse if you see it for what it is, seeing him for who he is. It says that following Jesus is more than tagging along behind him. It means following him for who he is. Being so taken with him that you join yourself to him. And you notice that when you follow him, you have him. You have him as the light of life. I am the light. Whoever follows me will have the light. It's a promise. You will have me, he says, as your light. If you follow me, you have me. I am yours. I am your shepherd and your sacrifice and your loving water and your bread from heaven and your God and your light. It's a matter of following. So the prayer I have for us is that we will be fully aware of the light we must follow and help others to be aware. We need to be fully aware of the light that we seek to surround ourselves, be willing to share in being exposed together, being fully aware in fellowship that we are seeking that one same holy light. And being willing to encourage and challenge one another with truth and love of our Heavenly Father. So may we remember that as the light exposes our sin and those around us, it is a redemptive and inclusive process. Inviting those in the dark, which includes us, to a new light, new revelation, and a new life, day By day, by day. May his light shine in us, and may his light shine through us.